uh, getting us started with that beautiful prelude this morning. Welcome to First Church on this beautiful autumn morning. What a gorgeous morning and day we're going to have. Praise be to the Lord for that. Special uh, welcome to those listening on the radio. Uh, there's a bunch of announcements in the bulletin, so please look over those. But a few just to highlight, Pastor Joel's Sunday school class, the Gospel Project Bible Study for Adults begins today after our worship service in the Ministry Center. The blue jug down here next to the organ is on the steps again to support those affected by Hurricane Florence. Donations will assist the Salvation Army. Help is needed in the nursery for October. Pastor Joel's got the clipboard right there. Uh, Please uh, see the schedule up front here on the pew or talk to Tori after church if you can help with the nursery during our worship service. Please rise and join me for the call to worship this morning, which is taken from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? One who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face. God of Jacob, lift up your bread as your gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is He, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. And now we'll have our opening hymns, two hymns. First is 395, Teach Me Thy Way, O Lord. And the second, 428, I Need Thee Every Hour.
Next is children chat. And while the children are coming up, pass a little of God's love onto those near you. Good morning, everybody. I have a jar. This jar is my heart. Right now, it's got nothing but Jesus in it. See? Nothing but Jesus. Okay? But sometimes I worry. Do you worry? Not really. Sometimes I worry if I have a test on Tuesday. Sometimes I worry if my friend is sick. Oh dear. Sometimes I worry if I burn dinner. Sorry, Mr. Rorbal. Oh dear. Sometimes I worry about my little ones at school. What's happening to my heart? Yeah. Is it full of good stuff? In fact, if I worry about one more thing, it's going to overflow. Uh-oh. Well, let's see. I got room for a little bit of worry. There's no room for any more. In fact, it's too heavy now. I can't I can't carry it. I don't want it to spill. But it's it's so heavy. I can't live like this. I can't carry it around. But Jesus says, cast your cares on me because he cares about us. So the good news is, even though I have all of these worries, if I just give them to Jesus, then I don't have to carry it anymore. Well, that'll be good. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. This is so heavy, I can't carry this. Things we give to Jesus go here. And now, I don't have worries anymore. Jesus will take care of it. If you have worries, you should give them to him too. Would you pray with me? Lord, sometimes we worry. We worry about things because we care. We worry because we care. But if we give our cares to you and we pray, then you will take care of it. And then we can fill our hearts with more you instead of more worry. Help us to do that. We love you. Keep us safe. Teach us more to be like you. Amen. Thanks, guys. Lost in the last week in our service at Fort Benning, Georgia, First Lieutenant Connor Bednarzik, 25, from Doylestown, Pennsylvania. At Grand Forks Air Force Base, North North Dakota, Airman First Class Christian Clark from Monroe, Georgia. And at Altus Air Force Base in Oklahoma, Staff Sergeant Robert A. Alvarez from Texas. Thanks, Jay. As part of our prayer time this morning, I want to invite Shannon Rediger to come forward. And Tori, if you don't mind joining me up here as well. Good morning. 
As you all know, uh, Shannon is about to embark on another one of her uh, another mission trip here um, next week. I believe you're leaving, right? Uh, next Thursday morning. Next Thursday morning. Wow, that's going to be a long day of travel for you. Yeah, I'm so, a 14-hour flight after that. Wow, wow. And she's after all of that, she'll be ending up in India um, and working with a group that she worked with when she was on the World Race, uh, Rescue Pink, working with some underprivileged uh, girls and women in that area and trying to help them out. Um, and, and, and if you remember, she talked a lot about that when we were first talking about this trip and helping raise support and prayer for you at that time. And so now the time is here, and it's time for her to go. And so um, as a church... Uh, we have supported her financially, and, and I know in prayer already, but, but we want to once again support you in prayer and, and lift you up before the Lord and, and commission you to, to go and to serve him. So if, you are, if you're willing, I'd love to, to pray for you at this time and include this in our prayer this morning. Why don't you stand here and Tori and I can lay hands on you and pray. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for Shannon. We're so grateful for her heart for you and for reaching out and serving you, Lord, in these ways. Thank you for where you've brought her to this point in her life and the opportunity that she has had this um, already, Lord, um, to serve you in the mission field and the experience that that, that brought to her life and, and the opportunity she had to proclaim your kingdom and see uh, and helping the least of these, Lord, as you call us to do. And now as she has this opportunity again, um, I pray that you would equip her, Lord, to serve you in India. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, go before her and prepare, Lord, this ministry that she is going to be working on these next three months. I pray that you keep her safe and keep her, um, Lord, uh, keep her safe and keep her focused on you through this whole time. And Lord, I pray for opportunities for, for gospel conversations. I pray for opportunities to come alongside these women and these girls and to help them in their time of need and to, to and, and show the love of Christ to them in every possible way. I pray for the others that are involved in this project as well. We pray for your provision and your guidance and your care. And Lord, we, we ask that you would um, that you would send Shannon out into the field and bring her back again safely when that time comes. Lord, there's so many other missionaries and, and ministries, Lord, that take place here in our own community as well as around the world that we support. And, and as we send Shannon out, we want to lift up those as well. We pray for your provision and your guidance for each one of them. Lord, being a missionary serving in these different ministry areas is not an easy thing. And, and a lot of times it comes with a lot of stress and a lot of burdens and a lot of, um, a lot of care for the people that you're working with. And as Nikki just demonstrated, a lot of times that worry, that concern just fills you up. And so I pray, Lord, that Shannon and the others would be able to lay their burdens and lay their concerns at your feet and be able to, to, um, to, to not be consumed by that worry and that stress, but be filled with the joy and the love of Christ. Uh, Lord, we also pray for the many concerns and issues that are going on and with our own congregation and community, a lot of health concerns that we are aware of, other, other concerns. And so we pray for your healing, we pray for your peace, and we pray for your presence in each of those situations. We pray all these things and lift them up into your uh, tender mercy and care, praying in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. This time I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. Uh, and once again, blessed to have the choir singing for us this morning.
be seated. Our reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 1 through 7. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for the people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garment long. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Thanks, Jake. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy towards us. We thank you for your word, and we pray now that as we open it together, as we hear what you have to say to us through this passage and and this sermon today, I pray that you'd give me words to speak, and you'd open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Get a little organized here, just a moment. Here we go. We have uh, been talking about what it means to truly be a disciple, and one of the... um, one of my points of emphasis so far this series has been the, the need to be an everyday disciple, right? Discipleship, following Christ, is not meant to be just for one day a week or one hour one day a week as we gather together here in this church, but it's meant to impact and flow through every aspect of our lives, including when we're here, but also including when we're at work, when we're with our families, when we're in our homes and our neighborhoods. Uh, following Christ is meant to be a, a 24-7, 365 kind of commitment. And so we talked about the importance of, of, of following him and the importance of, of following through in that every single day. Uh, and then last week we talked about the importance of faithfulness, the important that a disciple is faithful, that we are following a person, we are following Christ, and he's called us into a relationship with him, and, and he remakes us, he recreates us from the inside out, so that we can have a desire to know and to follow him and to love him. And so today we're going to be continuing this conversation, looking at that second uh, characteristic of a disciple, and that is a disciple is authentic. And I have to be honest, this is, this is a hard one. This is not going to be an easy, this is not an easy conversation, uh, especially for someone who stands up here and preaches week in, week out. It's very easy to put on a show. Right? It's very easy, and I'm not just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about myself, but life in general, right? it's easy when to, to put on a show and to pretend to be someone you're not. Authenticity is a very difficult thing to grasp, and it's a very difficult thing to live out. And so as we talk through this today, I, just, I wanted to, to just begin with that warning, that this may not be an easy conversation, that this may not be an easy topic to talk about because it is so hard to be authentic. And so difficult to be authentic in, in our relationship with Christ. It's hard to be authentic with ourselves, and it's hard to be authentic with other people. But I believe that's what God is calling us to do, and God is calling us to be real with him in, in these different areas. And honestly, if we were to look at the different, the facts, as I'm calling them, of discipleship with this, this acronym, being faithful, being authentic, being teachable, being committed, and being a servant, authentic is probably the last one on that list that we would peg for what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. It's easy to talk about being faithful. It's easy to talk about being committed and being teachable and being a servant. Those things um, seem obvious, and those things maybe are, I don't want to say they're easy, but they're easier than what it means to be authentic. But being authentic is, is probably was, is not high on the list if you were to be asked what it means to be a disciple. Authentic, authenticity may not have been there, but it's important. And in reality, it's, it's one of those things that, that is either going to draw people to Christ through the ministry of a church or, or something like this, or it's going to be the thing that drives people away. There's a book that came out some years ago, and I used it a lot when I was a youth pastor because it was geared towards what young people think and perceive about the church and why. It was, the book was entitled Unchristian. I believe I've mentioned this before. It came out, I think, 10 years ago now, so a little outdated, but, um, but the point is still true and important. And that's young people in general, but, or young people specifically, but I would say society in general 
has certain perceptions about what Christians are and what we claim to be. And the number one reason, I believe, uh, if, I, if I'm recalling this right, or one of the top reasons that people are, are driven away from the church or driven away from the faith is because of inauthentic people. In other words, hypocrites, as we just heard in this passage that Jake read for us. It's the number one reason why, why or one of the top reasons, I should say, why people um, leave the faith or are not interested in the faith to begin with. And so, so it's a hard topic, but it's an important one because we want to be authentic. We want to be real in our relationship with Christ, and we want to be real in our, in our relationships with other people, brothers and sisters in Christ and the surrounding communities. If we're not real, if we're not authentic, people know. They can pick up on it, and it's easy to, to detect um, to a certain extent. And so we want, to, we want to be as real and as transparent as possible and what it means to follow Christ. And that's why we're having these conversations about discipleship and, and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so to, in order to talk about what it means to be authentic, we need to first talk about what it means to be inauthentic. And that's what this passage does for us from Matthew chapter 23. I was just having a conversation with some people, and, and, and there's, there's two, two instances, two um, areas in Jesus' ministry that he got, that were, were in which he got upset. You know, Jesus would often um, spend a lot of times with, with the people that uh, might not have gotten the time of day from other religious leaders, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those, the people that were that was that were that Jesus often got in trouble for for associating with he would he'd spend time with them and, and extend grace to them in a very real and practical way but it was there were two instances where Jesus often had some pretty harsh criticism and where you could tell that he was getting upset and and one is the the money changers in the temple right if you can recall that at the beginning of holy week Jesus came in and and saw what was taking place there saw how how people were take adva- taking advantage of the worshipers who were coming to offer sacrifices and Jesus actually upturned their tables and drove them out of the temple courts in response to that but there's another one and and one that happened uh, over and over again throughout his ministry and that was his response his rebuke even towards religious leaders who are not living out their faith. Jesus often held his harshest rebukes for those who were in positions of authority and, and who were not living out their faith in, in, in the Lord. These people, we often, like Pharisees, religious leaders, teachers of the law, we often think of them in kind of negative terms nowadays, if we're honest, right? We, we read the Gospels and it seems like they're the bad guys. But in that day, they were the good guys. They were the heroes of the faith. They were the people that the average person, the average follower of the Lord would look up to and wish they could be like. They were the, they were the heroes of the faith. But Jesus had harsh criticism for them because um, he was pushing it back against that status quo. Against, he was disrupting the social norms and saying that, that though they say they're, though it appears that they have everything in order, they were really... Uh, being hypocrites and not living out that faith. They were not being authentic in their following of the Lord. And actually this passage that Jake read for you is followed by one of the, one of the more harsh passages of Scripture entitled, in, in a lot of your Bibles it's labeled as the seven woes. And if you were to look at Matthew 23, verses 13 through the end of the chapter, it would look like almost something like out of an Old Testament prophet, right? This, these, these, almost prophecies of, of destruction against the, the Pharisees. I just want to read a couple examples for you. So if you have a Bible and you're following along, uh, just skim down a few verses to verse 13 in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Verse 15, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Ouch. Verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides! You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple, it is bound by that oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? Those are some pretty harsh words if you think about it, aren't they? And I, I see the irony that, in a sense, I am a religious leader standing up here talking about these things. But it's important to do this because if Jesus was so concerned and so upset about people who were hypocrites, 
people who are being inauthentic, then we need to be careful not to follow their example. We need to be careful not to be hypocrites ourselves. And we need to be uh, very intentional about, about being authentic. I know I've, I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. Hypocrisy is simply pretending to be something you're not. The term was used for ancient, in, in, in the ancient theater and acting guilds and stuff to, to talk about a person who was putting on a mask and pretending to, or excuse me, to, to play a part. So hypocrite, in its very basic sense, was describing someone who was pretending to be something that they weren't. They're putting on a show. And over time, that term became associated with someone who, who just in everyday life was pretending to be someone that they weren't, putting on a show for others uh, to see. People who claim to be one thing but contradicted that claim with their lifestyle. And if we're honest, hypocrisy, it really damages our witness as Christians, as I mentioned from that, the research from that book on Christian. But just practically speaking, if we're, if we're saying we follow Christ, if we're saying we truly know him and want to be his disciple, but then our lifestyle is contradicting that claim, people are going to notice. People are going to see that and, and, and not, um, not have any interest in what, what we are claiming to believe in. Like, a, like any other good 90s kid and growing up in youth group, I was a fan of DC Talk. Some of you out there may, may be aware of them. Um, I think they're still hanging on by a thread these days. I'm not so sure. But, um, but back, they had a song called, What If I Stumble? It came out in 1995. Um, and it opened with a quote by uh, a popular pastor author named Brennan Manning, uh, author of a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. But the quote started off like this, and I remember listening to it, and it, and it really stuck with me, and obviously it did to this day. It says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. In other words, why should anyone listen to what we have to say about Jesus when, when we live as if he doesn't matter anyways? This passage here that Jake read from Matthew 23, it, it, in my, it, hypocrisy, it takes on many different shapes and forms, and it looks different in different times and different places. But there's three kind of uh, examples here I want to highlight in this passage that Jake read for us. And and, and see what they have to teach us. In the first few verses, we see uh, hypocrisy in one sense is people who don't practice what they preach. In other words, they're not being authentic with God. They claim to follow him. They uphold his law through their talk and through their speech, and through, but they're not upholding his law through their actions. To categorize this in another way uh, with, with that whole idea of Sunday morning only Christianity that we've talked about these last couple of weeks. People who, who claim to follow the Lord, claim to, to know him, but then, then go about their lives as if his, his gospel and his word have no impact on it. In other words, they say one thing and they do another. They're only giving God lip service. And, and to, to give you a, I don't know if this is encouragement, because I know we, um, we're, this isn't a new phenomenon. This isn't something that has only cropped up recently. This is something that God's people have struggled with over and over again throughout history. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 29, 13, uh, he, he says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship of me is based on merely human rules. They have been taught. So even in Isaiah's day, centuries before the coming of Christ, this was a problem that God's people struggled with. In a New Testament example from Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes to his protege, he says, they claim to know God, speaking of people who are, who are disrupting the church. He says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for anything good. So there's one sense uh, following Christ, excuse, um, excuse me, uh, not following Christ, hypocrisy is defined by people who don't practice what they preach. They say one thing and they do another. But another form of hypocrisy is people who hold others to a higher standard than they hold themselves. We see that in chapter 23, verse 4. 
says they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help them. In other words, they're not being authentic with themselves because, because the reality is that God does not judge people by different standards. We all will be held to the count for our actions. And so to burden others with higher expectations and to lower the bar for ourselves is hypocritical. But yet we do it all the time, don't we? We let ourselves slide in certain areas of our lives. We let ourselves slide in, in, in certain aspects of, of what it means to follow Christ, but yet we hold other people to a higher standard. Jesus spoke directly to this issue in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. In the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, this passage isn't saying that the speck of eye is good and for that other person. Right? The speck of sawdust isn't meant to be there. But how can we complain about that in someone else's lives? How can we hold them to a certain standard when we have a plank in our own eye and we're unable to see? We're unable to, to hold them. Uh, we, we're trying to hold them to a standard that we're not holding ourselves. It says once you've been able to take the plank out of your own eye, that's something that only Christ can do in us, being made new, being forgiven, being transformed more and more in the image of Christ. Only when that happens are we able to look at a brother and help them remove their speck. And so hypocrisy means that we are holding others to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. And third, we see that hypocrisy is showing off in front of other people in order to receive their praise. The final verses of that scripture passage Jake read for us deals with their this attitude of, of um, showing off in front of other people. In other words, they're not being authentic with others. They're putting on a show so that people will praise them instead of praising God as they're meant to do. It says here they had special clothing that they would wear to draw people's attention. If you were to look back into the Old Testament, you see instructions for people to, to have these phylacteries and these tassels uh, attached to their clothing. It's very, in a very literal interpretation of these passages, uh, phylacteries were actually small little wooden boxes, many of them were ornate, that people would then tie to their foreheads or tie or bind to their arms, and they would hold tiny little passages of Scripture. Um, there's a passage in Deuteronomy about binding God's words to your, for, to your head and binding them to your arm. Um, in, in a sense, that was meant not in a literal way to actually tie them physically, but, but for God's word to be on your mind and become a part of how you think and how you feel, and to be on your arm in a sense of how you live your life. Your arm represented action. But, but they took it in a very literal sense, and so these people would literally have these ornate boxes. And, and if you wanted to really catch people's attention, you made them nice and big and ornate. And you wore them around everywhere so people could see just how religious and just how spiritual you were. In the same way, in, in Deuteronomy, I believe it is, that, that or one of the, the books of the law, uh, there's this instruction for, for tassels on the corners of the garments. And these tassels had a blue cord, and they were meant to remind people of their commitment to the Lord, that they have been called to follow God and the God of Israel and no other gods. So these tassels were meant to be a symbol that, that they've been set apart and dedicated to the Lord, that they have committed to follow him and him only. And so again, the temptation was to take these tassels and make them extra long, take these tassels and make them nice and, nice and big so people would all be able to see your commitment to the Lord. And so what these people were doing, what these religious leaders were doing is they were showing off. They were, they were making these, their, their commitment to the Lord in a sense so obvious that it was no longer about following God, but it was about others seeing your commitment to follow God. You see the difference there? Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks directly to this issue. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets to be honored by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you go to pray, go into the room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like... Excuse me. When you pray, go into your room, close the door. Do not go on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So hypocrisy takes on many forms. But here we see it in terms of not practicing what you preach... We see it in terms of, of um, holding others to a higher standard. And we see it in terms of, of living out your faith, not for the Lord, but to be seen by others and receive their praise. And we've also seen how Jesus waged war against hypocrisy. Throughout the Gospels, he confronted the hypocrites and the religious leaders uh, and called out, excuse me, he, he confronted the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and even called out the less than humble aspirations of his disciples over time. And so as his disciples, we must push back against the hypocrisy we see in our own hearts. We need to acknowledge and admit that we're not perfect. And we fall into these tendencies and these traps as well. It's not a battle that's easily won. It's, it's a struggle, if I'm honest with you. But I believe that God will help us as we humbly seek him out. We must do so with honesty and integrity and authenticity. In other words, you must be genuine and sincere, not only in our relationship with God, but also with ourselves and with others. There's a promise in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Notice the promise there is as we humble ourselves, as we submit ourselves to God, he will bring us near to him. The promise is as we turn away from our hypocrisy, as we put those things to the side, God will, will acknowledge that and, and, and he will lift us up. He will draw us near to himself. Again, it's, it's not easy. It's a struggle, but God is the one who will help us. He will do what's necessary. We just need to be willing and humble. So with the time we have remaining, I want to take a look at then what it does mean to be authentic. We've, we've talked a lot about the negative, and I warned you, it's not going to be an easy conversation. But I want to spend our remaining time talking about the positive side. And that is what it means to actually be authentic. What it means to truly follow Christ with an open heart, with an open mind, and to do that alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to look at those same three categories in turn, of being authentic with God and with ourselves and with others, and see what that, what that looks like for a disciple of Christ. And so to be authentic with God, it means, uh, first of all, it's, it's necessary for that relationship that we talked about last week. Authenticity needs to happen practically simultaneous, simultaneously with our commitment to the Lord to follow him and be faithful. We talked about how God last week works in our hearts and transforms us from the inside out. That we are born again as we put our trust in him. And we cannot seriously enter into that relationship with God if we're not honest with him about where we're at. If we're not honest with him about who we are and, and, and how we've fallen short. And so being authentic with him means that we have to regularly practice confession and repentance. See, we can't hide anything from God. We can't fake it till you make it with him. Because the reality is he knows already what's in our hearts and our minds. And so we can't fool him by pretending to be something we're not. We can't fool him by saying, I got it all together, I'm perfect, I got it figured out. Because God knows. Psalm 33, verses 13 through 15 says, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches over all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. You know, God knows what we're thinking in any, any given moment. Imagine what that would be like if your spouse or your kids or your boss knew exactly what you were thinking in every given moment. How would that affect, how would that change how you live or interact with them? It's a scary thought if you think about it. But God knows. He sees it all. 
And so we need to be honest with him about those things. So confession and repentance is really about acknowledging that we're all sinners in need of a Savior and acknowledging that fact before him. Confession is simply being honest with God about what he already knows. We're not going to surprise him. We're not going to fool him. We're not, and, and, and when we admit our sin before him, it's not going to catch him off guard because he knows and he loves us anyways. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to, not, to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So confession is simply about acknowledging our sin before the Lord, being honest with him about what he already knows. And repentance then is turning away from our sin and towards Christ. Right? Confession doesn't accomplish much if we, just don't, if we don't do anything about it in response to God's grace. If we simply just con- confess our sins and then keep going on down that same path, what difference has it made in our lives? Instead, we need to, be, um, we need to confess our sins and then allow God to work in us so that our actions follow suit, so that we change our lifestyle in, in response to his grace and to response to our confession. And it's also important to remember that confession and repentance are not one-time actions. They're meant to be continual and constant lifestyles. And the, re- re- the reason for that is because we're in constant need of forgiveness. Right? None of us are perfect, and we will continue to be not perfect throughout our lives. And to be authentic with God is to simply acknowledge that to Him. The more we understand the gospel, the more we, we understand God's character, then the more we understand the depth of our sin. And in turn, we realize more and more our need to repent and our need for God's grace. So we need to be authentic with God. We also need to be authentic with ourselves. We need to admit our need for Him. The reality is that we're not self-sufficient. And this call to discipleship, this call to follow the Lord, kind of flies in the face of this idea of that we are independent, self-sufficient creatures. When in reality, we are dependent completely on God, both for physical life and for spiritual life. We cannot save ourselves from God's judgment any more than we can survive without air or food or water. And so we're completely and utterly dependent on Him. And we need to be realistic with ourselves about our identity in Christ. We need to give ourselves an accurate assessment. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I, have, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. We need to recognize that we need to look at ourselves with sober judgment, which means we don't puff ourselves up and think of ourselves as any more than we really are, but we also don't undercut ourselves either. We don't, we don't think of ourselves any less than we ought to either, but we think of ourselves as who we are in Christ. Our identity is found in Him. And that means we are a forgiven sinner. God's promise is that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That we have been forgiven and we need to hold on to that. And we don't need to wallow in our sin anymore, just like we don't need to ignore it. We need to be completely honest with Him and completely honest with the promises that God has made us. We are forgiven Sinners in Christ. And we need also need to completely rely on His Spirit. When we depend on ourselves and in our flesh, we have a tendency to fall back into those hypocritical acts, don't we? But as we learn to rely more and more on the Spirit, when we learn to rely more on how God is, who we are in Christ and what God is doing in and through us, then we can be true and authentic with ourselves and with God and with others. So we need to rely more on Him, and, and it's His Spirit living in us that will make that possible. And so we need to be authentic with God, we need to be authentic with ourselves, and finally we also need to be authentic with others. And this is the hardest one, and, and, and once we've learned, and it only will take place once we've learned to be real with God and real with ourselves. Because if we don't learn to do that, then we're just going to keep the show going. We're going to keep that mask on and we're not going to be willing to truly open up and be authentic with other people. You see, we're such an image-based culture, right? We're visual to one extent, but we also put an image of ourselves out there that is not our true authentic self. Many people wish their life was as good as the one that they describe on Facebook. 
right? We put, a, we put an image of ourselves out there. We put a fake self out there in order to, to put on a show. And, and we want to be that person that we're putting, we're putting on display for others to see. There's even been a recent development of, of what people are, are describing or diagnosing as Snapchat dysmorphia. There's actually, there, there's, this is happening over and over again at, at cosmetic surgeons around the country where people are bringing photos of themselves with Snapchat filters and asking their cosmetic surgeon to make them look more like themselves in their Snapchat photo. It's amazing. Not only do we want to put ourselves out there on Facebook or other, you know, whatever, we put ourselves out there and, and, and pretend to be someone we're not, but then we also actually want to become that fake person ourselves. But you know what? Putting on a show is tiring. And it will never lead to true, authentic relationship with others. The masks that we wear hide ourselves. They isolate ourselves because we're not letting anybody see who we truly are. And that leads to depression and loneliness and isolation from the people that God has put in our lives. And authenticity with others is hard. It's, it's, it is impossible to be authentic with everyone. I will admit that. You can only go so deep during our three-minute greet-your-neighbor time in church. The reality is that you can only invest so much uh, you can only, excuse me, you can only invest in a small number of people. We don't have the time or the energy to do that. So you can't be authentic with 200 people, but you can be authentic with a handful of them. And authenticity also leads to vulnerability. You're opening yourself up to others means that you're opening yourself up to potential hurt. Because those that are the closest to us can hurt us the most. Right? It's often our families that can wound us the deepest, right? Because they're the ones that are closest to us and, and know us the best. And so I'm not saying authenticity is easy and it's just going to be a, a walk in the park, but it's worth it. Because only when you open yourself up to God, when you, when you are true to yourself and when you are opening yourself up to others, can you truly find the joy that we're called to have in Christ. And opening yourself up to others leads to real Christian community. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, describes friendship as this. He says, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what? You too? In other words, you, you feel that way about, the, you know, like you, you, we have something in common? There's something about you that, that, that I see in myself? Right? That's true friendship. That's, that's where Christian community can grow is when you, when you learn to be open with each other and you realize that we have a lot more in common than we realize. And so we're called into Christian community. When God calls us into a relationship with him, he also calls us into a relationship with each other. Like it or not, it's a package deal. And we need each other. We can't do this on our own. Because others hold us to a level of authenticity that we can't really do for ourselves. I referenced a book uh, a couple weeks ago, Transforming Discipleship, and he he talked about how we all have blind spots. and, And when we are able to be authentic with others, they can help us become more authentic with ourselves as well. Because we're unwilling to be completely honest unless someone holds us to that standard. He told the story of a man who once wrote a letter to the IRS. Uh, he, he, the, letter, the gist of the letter was basically that he had been cheating on his taxes for years. And it was just finally eating away at him to the point where he couldn't sleep anymore. And so he wrote this letter and admitted what he had done and enclosed as a check for $150. At the bottom of the letter, it says, you know, enclosed, you'll find this check for $150. If I'm still unable to sleep at night, I'll send you the rest. Um, You know, we want to be authentic up to a certain point, right? But when we are in true community with others, when we have brothers and sisters in Christ who can hold us accountable, can build us up, it can bring us to a whole new level of authenticity in our relationship with God and ourselves as well. And so extremely briefly in closing, I just want to uh, share a couple marks of what Christian community among disciples truly looks like. There's confession. And I've already talked about this. We confess our sins before God, but, but there's something special that takes place. And we also have that willingness and that audacity to confess our sins to each other. God can use that to heal us, it says in James chapter 5, verse 16. Not in a way to, not, we don't do it in a way to, to like point fingers at people or to say, woe is me, but we do it in a real and authentic way to say, this is something I'm struggling with and I want you as my brothers and sisters in Christ to help me. There's accountability. 
Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The people who truly care about you, the people that truly love you, want the best for you. And sometimes the best thing is a a word of rebuke. You're not going down the right path. Right? And that's what a good, true friend will do for you. And a true Christian community builds one another up. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. If you truly care about someone, if you're truly being authentic with them, you want to see them grow in their faith. You want to see them grow more in Christ-likeness. You want to see them following the Lord and loving Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Christian community, authentic Christian community, helps each other to do that. So I know we're, we're out of time this morning. I want to close in prayer uh, with reference to Psalm 139, 23 through 24. If nothing else from this conversation today, I want you to, to write this down and remember this prayer because I think it's, this, is, this prayer, the, the attitude that is in this prayer is key to what it means to follow Christ and to be authentic in our relationship with God, ourselves, and others. David writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I pray that that would be our prayer this morning and each day, that you would help us to be authentic with you, with others, with ourselves, in a way, Lord, that leads us deeper and more fully into a relationship with you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and let's sing our final song together. Number 283, We Are God's People.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.